0: Welcome to Coffee
1: Hour with Reverend Andrew Conley Holcomb and Reverend Alyssa DeWolf.
0: to another episode of Coffee Hour Chat. This is the Reverend Alyssa DeWolf with the Reverend Andrew Conley Holcomb.
1: What's up church?
0: And we are here again to discuss what it is to be the church, what it is to be the progressive church, Mm -hmm. what is going on in our world with the Hmm. pandemic and church and how to be the church in a time when we need to uplift minority voices, especially black lives mattering. Absolutely. Um, And we wanted to talk today specifically about uh, the church of the future, not the The future future of the the church. church, and distinguishing between those two phrases and what the church of the future may look like. I think the pandemic is giving us some hints as to what the church is evolving into, but...
1: Well, one of my favorite things that I've heard about the pandemic lately is the pandemic is only accelerating what was already happening. And so all of the changes that we're seeing and all of the anxiety that's being produced and all of the things that are falling apart, they were already falling apart. They just were falling apart more slowly and now it's picking up speed. And so I think we can pay attention to what's not working now and say it wasn't gonna last. And that use that as a framework for thinking about, okay, then where do we need to spend our creative energy instead of, you know, putting dying things on life support? Why don't we just embrace death and new life as if we were people that followed the risen Christ? Oh my
0: gosh, as if we followed Jesus <laughs> and the resurrection? What? Yeah. Let's not get too crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I... It's kind of like remodeling. Like if anyone who's ever remodeled... house knows that you have, like, one idea of what you're going to do for your project. Like, oh, I'm going to change the floors. And then you start lifting up the floorboards, and it becomes like, oh, crap, I'm going to change the plumbing, and the foundation is off, and now we got to fix the electrical, and this, like, small job that was, you know, supposed to be painless has now become like a whole overhaul right. and so I think that idea too of like the pandemic is just exasperating what already has been yes. but I think it also is an acknowledgement that we've been sort of like putting wallpaper yes, on top of wallpaper ignoring the fact that it's completely structurally not sound oh. um, and we no longer can do that The right. the we have now witnessed the cracks in the foundation and we must acknowledge the fact that things need to change
1: absolutely and actually when we talked about this topic earlier you put in some really interesting language to make it more specific and honestly more Christian I was talking about the contrast between the church of the future and your and the future of the church and you put in these two I words that I think are beautiful the incarnational church versus the institutional church and I think these cracks in the foundation are just that they're cracks in the foundation of an institution, they are not cracks in the cornerstone of the faith. And I think we get those two things confused. Um, I'm noticing a lot of people are really anxious about worship attendance, right? Like we're doing worship online and our numbers, I don't know about yours, but the numbers at Admiral are super duper low.
0: They're low, yeah.
1: And I just keep thinking like, if that's the measure, which it always has been, right? For the institutional church, Worship on Sunday morning has been the measure. And I just keep thinking, is that, if that's the measure for us in pandemic, then um we're all, we're all completely irrelevant. But, or maybe some people are doing a great job, but <laughs> I guess what I mean is like, I think there needs to be a new metric for efficacy. And I honestly think there always should have been a different metric anyway.
0: Well, the reality is, is the metric to use for the success quote-unquote of the church isn't as spelled out or as distinguishable as the measure for how many people are sitting in the literal or now virtual pews and I mean that's what we get when we get an institution is we're going to get qualitative you know secularized structure that is not necessarily flexible enough to what the spirit is wanting and needing and asking us to move into um and we can change the name of the institution as many times as we want but as long as the institution stands as this sort of idea that the church that god cannot exist without the church um then we have a problem right and i think people are sort of realizing that that's crap that right. like the church doesn't need God that wait let me exactly. say it again that God doesn't need the church well and
1: ironically the church sometimes doesn't need God like, yes, I think true. one of the problems of institutionalism is we build these systems and structures and then we worship them mm-hmm. we spend our energy to prop them up we we pretend that they're what's important when um, they were created for us we weren't created for them um, it's like a snowboarding boot, right? Like it's created to help you go snowboarding. If it's uncomfortable, you should get a different one because you were not created for the snowboarding boot. The snowboarding boot was created <laughs> for you, but we've been chafing under these institutions that we've mm. created for so long and trying to contort ourselves into how church is supposed to be and, you know, contort ourselves into making sure our, our building and I just feel like we, we're getting distracted. And I think yeah. that's what institutionalism does. is you, One generation spends a bunch of energy building up this thing to serve them. And then the next generation inherits it. And they don't have the same needs. But they're wedded to this thing, this gift they have from the past. And while I want to honor our ancestors and honor legacy, I also think we have to claim legacy for ourselves and be building legacy mm. for the next generation and that means we can't just live off of the inertia of the generations before us we have to actually add energy and create new momentum into the future
0: well I find that one of the reasons the institution also stays so strong is because of this rootedness and legacy and this fear of being um, written out of history mm. and I see that so much with the living elderly than I
1: see obviously with the the dead.
0: <laughs> but, they don't uh, talk a
1: lot. They don't talk a lot. But they have but, their names written everywhere. But you
0: always hear from the older generation, like you know, this, like remember what we did in the past, and this church needs to uphold like the legacy of the people who have come before. And I think a lot of that, you know, it's it's really important, and it's great to like know our history and to like uplift those voices in in the past who who deserve to be uplifted, but. I think a lot of that comes from this fear that if we do not maintain the institution, that those who helped build the institution will be eradicated. Right. And we will no longer know the, you know, the names of the saints right. who built the pillars and the foundation of this space.
1: But the thing is, is that if we're going to lift up the saints of the church, we should lift up the ministries, not the materials that they gave. Yeah. Right? Like the saints of the church are... The, w- the women that made up the women's fellowship that made sure to visit the sick and bring chicken soup to the folks who are recovering from surgery and whose parents just died, right? Like the love and care that they showed is what we should be lifting up, not the fact that they bailed out the church when the roof caved in. I mean, as much as I want the church to <laughs> have a roof, like I think that the what we're remembering tells us a lot about who we are and and what we care about. And if all we're really remembering is these institutional structures, it makes me really uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. And we, I mean, there is sort of like the reality of like the commodification of the church in the sense that as a pastor, like you need a paycheck. True. And and so like, how do we do the work of God if there's not like an investment in that work? But Mm -hmm. then that sort of gets translated as the investment is in like the building and also in like a pastor who only upholds the values that you want them to uphold Mm. that, that, you know, your, your investment is actually, I have experienced this myself, your ownership in the pastor. And then you get to the point where like I find myself, you know, throughout my career as a minister, um, confronted more with dealing with these like squabbles over hymns in worship and being you know two or not enough justicey in your sermons mm-hmm. yeah. and you know not planning things according to the way that they had been planned before that I often have found myself you know sitting at my desk going when did I actually do the work of the church this week mm-hmm. like if this is the what i have been called into right. to like make people feel comfortable and to uphold traditions be just to uphold them then like i really would like a better a right. different job right <laughs>
1: right so that's the institutional kind of side mm-hmm. let's talk about the incarnational side because i think it's easy any pastor i've ever talked to can spend a lot of time we could spend days weeks talking <laughs> about the problems of the institution and i think part of our role is actually to help our congregations, to cast vision for them about what it would mean to be an incarnational church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the biggest things about transitioning from institutionalism to incarnationalism is this emphasis that there's nothing outside of the bounds of God. Yes. You know, that like we talk about um, the sacred work and the secular work. But incarnational ministry means there is no such thing as secularness, because God is infused in all things. God is in our bodies. God is in God's creation. God is in our economic system. You know what I mean? Like if we, we, if we take on an incarnational view, then we are obligated to operate as if God is working everywhere, everywhere, not just in church,
0: and not in a way that's like when I grew up in the Pentecostal church, it was kind of like oh, I, like, need to get a, (laughs) this is a stupid example, I need to get a haircut, like, I'm just gonna pray, Lord Jesus, that this haircut is, like, a good one, and that, like, the stylist knows what they're doing (laughs) and doesn't take off that extra inch that's gonna make me look real funny, like, you know, this, like, prayer for every moment in your day where it just becomes ridiculous, like, the incarnation is about looking at the world around you and recognizing first the presence of God in it, which requires us to recognize the presence of God in places we don't want the presence of God to be. Amen. But also, it is uh, a recognition that we are intricately, intricately connected to the spirit of God mm-hmm. and that there, there be, if there is no division between the sacred and secular in the world around us, then there is no division of the sacred and secular within ourselves and so we are also faced with limitless possibilities of rejuvenating revitalizing and resurrecting the world around us
1: absolutely and we get distracted out in the quote-unquote secular world because we get caught up in competing visions of reality we get caught up in um kind of competing uh, pulls for our time and energy competing value sets and so part of for me when I think about what's the value of worship? Worship for me is about preparing me to remember that I live an incarnational life mm-hmm. That it's a place for me to come back check in and recenter on the core value set that I need um, in order to view that world that way and so we engage in ritual not because ritual in and of itself is necessarily any more sacred than anything mm-hmm. else. Like, eating tacos is no less sacred than even <laughs> communion.
0: Especially if they're really good oh tacos. Oh my god. <laughs> really good tacos
1: are a transcendent I moment. I think
0: that's what we should do for communion from now on. Oh my
1: god. Amen. Tacos and salsa. But, I mean, like, but the point of ritual is to to give us some symbols to invite us back into that transcendent headspace, that kind of ecstatic union with the divine headspace that is so, oh, it's just, it, you just get glimpses of it, right? It's like the kingdom of heaven, Mm -hmm. right? You get, you get a taste of it and then, um, and then you, you go back to eating regular food, but like that taco, you still remember that... (laughs) That amazing street taco. It might
0: give you indigestion. It
1: might give you indigestion. (laughs) holy indigestion. Oh, Lord. We need some Uh, holy alka I mean,
0: I see it, too, as, like, ritual is about our attachment to God. It is not about our detachment from the world. Mm. And I think that's also what kind of distinguishes Christianity from other um, faith practices that are very embedded within ritual is, like, I find within like zen buddhist tradition it's really about emptying oneself so it is that sort of detachment but within the rituals that we find in the christian um, world is it's really about centering ourselves in our attachments our attachment to god and our attachment to community i mean isn't that what communion is at its essence this ritual we are called to do over and over and over again is about this continual connection not just to those we are breaking bread with but to the one who broke bread for Mm -hmm. us in the beginning but also to the very nature of the bread and cup that we are like sinking our toes into creation that it's not even a refueling like I've always heard about like churches like the gas station, you know, like sure. you come into worship, you get filled up with the spirit, and then you can go back out in the world mm-hmm. and do the work of God. Like again, we're dividing the sacred right. and the secular, right. even by that notion. Right. It's like a ritual should be in everything we do. Mm-hmm. Like the sh- so, I'm a little bit of- obsessed with the Shakers. All right, tell it. Um, and the Shakers who. Have the prob the problematic practice of um, uh, no procreation, which is why there's only I think like two of them left in Maine. <laughs> um, uh, but we're not gonna get into the history that history. <laughs> but they had a fundamental practice of ritual that I think is so inspiring and important for us today, and that was that they believed every single thing they did they were doing in glorification of god sure which is why they also invented a whole bunch of stuff right because their idea was like you should do things in the most efficient most effective manner that is possible and so like the uh stand-up broom that you probably have in your house that was invented by them um seed packages to like put seeds in those little packages that you buy at the grocery no store that was invented by them huh. um like I think uh well, there's one of the types of like hats that was invented because it, for them it was like well why are we brute like why are we using a broom that is less efficient that is doing making us do the work like twice as hard sure. like let us do something that will glorify God I mean they're famous for their furniture but even right. in like the making of their furniture it was like this act like nothing they do is separated right from the incarnation
1: sure and there's a so one of our early church fathers um augustine talks about the difference between the intermediate good and the ultimate good and i think this kind of maybe i'm getting you wrong but this is kind of what i hear about your comment about attachment is that i think what really happens for us humans is we get stuck on the intermediate good and so we we don't recognize that anything that is kind of somewhat good is only somewhat good because ultimately it has its roots in that ultimate mm-hmm. goodness, which is God. And so we like, we get stuck on the intermediate good on, uh, like wealth or power, or prestige or relationship instead of seeing those things as a vehicle for engaging with the divine. So instead, um, cause I'm, I think we probably have some different opinions about attachment, but what I hear in what you're saying is we're going to encounter our life and look for God through it, which would kind of be Augustine's philosophy of moving, you know, valuing the intermediate good so long as you see its connection to the, that which is ultimately good, which is, of course, God. So what does this mean <laughs> for, um, for us in the, in the church? Um, because I keep thinking, like, I feel like the institutionalism is the intermediate good and the incarnationalism is the ultimate good and so you know what what are you learning what are you what's the pandemic teaching you about the church of the future and how we move from that intermediate good to the ultimate good of church
0: well i find like i mean i was already having inklings of this before but i think it's even more profound now of like our relationship to the physical building Mm -hmm. um and not to say that like having a building is wrong like i don't I don't think at any point are we going to be able to be like we have no location mm-hmm. um, because people need to know like where to go in a physical as well as a metaphorical Absolutely. sense um, but I think the ways and the capacity in which we use our building is more than just like getting renters in yep. which you know we we have like our AA groups and stuff which, mm-hmm. which is a ministry in itself but I look at like where we are here at Wayside and some of the conversations that I've been slowly having with with a couple of our folks is like we have a lot of property and it's Mm -hmm. like we could do so much with this property you know we could put housing on it for the for homeless we could create a garden to help like feed those who need Mm -hmm. food we could you know we could utilize this property in such a way that like we are meeting the needs of our community and not just sort of meeting our own needs and being able to sustain the roof on the building. Yes, yes.
1: I think that um this gets back to the incarnationalness of it is like we have a building and a building is in a particular location mm-hmm. and it has a particular neighborhood around it and a particular community around it. And I think somehow along the way in institutionalism, we forgot about the community that we were embedded in. Yeah. And we like stopped serving our immediate name. We stopped knowing. Our immediate neighbors. I mean, like, I think that the only way you can really serve people is if you get proximate to them, if you get to know them, right? And so, I, I think one of the things that we, we did, one of the ways we were idolatrous about our, uh, the church, was we focused so much on the building that we didn't focus on the location that the mm. building was in, and so, we don't, we don't often know our neighbors. We don't often have relationships with. The kind of three block radius around our facilities, and so when when Admiral is thinking about how to use its space, its you know property and so forth, you know we're in a very different socioeconomic kind of milieu than you are here at Wayside, and so we really need to think about how will we employ this asset that we have of this building and this um, this space to serve this community because. West Seattle is a peninsula. It's not like there's a whole heck of a lot of people that are coming to the north end of West Seattle. So if we're going to be a church, we need to be a church of that neighborhood. And I think that's where the intermediate good of the building needs to be reoriented towards the ultimate good of being of service in that community. And to me, that's a big part of the church of the future is the church of the future I feel like is both like kind of hyper global in its understandings of what's going on um, nationally and internationally in terms of justice work, in terms of um, you know climate engagement, in terms of pop political mm-hmm. engagement, but also hyper local because I I just see the ways that global market capitalism is pulling people away from each other and creating more and more divided lives, and the pandemic is exacerbating this as well. Oh yeah. How many people that can't, you know, if you can't go to the grocery store, there's so many people that had these incidental relationships with people and felt like their life was full of people because they went to these communal spaces. But now that those communal spaces are largely shut down, it's like, oh, where are my relationships at? Like, who knows me? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where being hyper local and having churches that have physical plants in communities... We could get back to, there's an opportunity to get back to that, like, core relationality that I think has historically for centuries been what was central about the church.
0: And what was central about those relationships was they were not dependent on the people that you were being in community with being officially a part of your church. Yes. That there, if like, I, I want to imagine, like, what would happen if we took membership off the table? like what would happen if we took even like pledging all of these things off the table i mean it would be chaos and it would be terrifying and i'd wonder if i could like pay my bills right but at the same time like our work would not be predicated on how many heads we had sitting in worship and how much our budget was um and then we would be forced to actually be people of faith to actually have faith in the work of god and the work that we were doing that if this work is in such a way that it is meeting the needs of the community, then that work will find a way to be sustained. Because you, you automatically have a consumer. Like, if you have a product that the community needs then you will find consumers and i think so often the church is saying we have this product that you need it's our 10 a.m worship on sunday with music from the 1800s and like we you know have some good community and and friends which is great but like we we need we need you to kind of plug into this and that's not
1: well we're telling we're telling other people what they need
0: yeah we're telling them what they need i mean this is
1: so institutional right like you need worship, and we already provide it. Not like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't go out... I have I have rarely encountered a, pro, a well, a church at all, but a progressive church in particular that goes out into the community and goes out with the sole intention of mm-hmm. finding out what does our community need.
0: So, we need... I just had an aha moment, because I was going to talk about them anyways. But we need to... Uh, contact the pastors of Urban Mission, which is a UCC church in Pomona, UCC DOC church, and I was good friends with the pastor, and to me it's like, I I know it's not a perfect church, but it really to me sort of symbolizes what church could be, and mm-hmm. the history and the story of it, and I don't know if I've talked about it here on the podcast before, but it's in a, a very like a Latinx community, a more mm-hmm. impoverished community, um, it was an old Spanish-speaking church that decided to dissolve. And instead of selling off its building, it gave its building as a new p- church plant. Mm-hmm. And it's basically surrounded by a neighborhood. And so this church came in. the um, I can't think of the pastor's name right now. But um came in basically with this vision of like, we are going to be a church of the community. Mm-hmm. And so went out to the community, actually to their physical neighbors, and was like, hey, what do you guys need? Right. And the church yes has Sunday morning worship but it is like the the you know of all the like priorities of the church it is like the last priority sure. the worship like um, instead it has like a full functioning like farm and garden they mm. provide health services and job placement they um, do food services they do art shows for inc- uh, people who had been or in- coming out of incarceration oh, wow. cool. Um they're doing all this stuff and they're connecting with all of these um, partners in the community. they are like linking up Mm -hmm. with the community Mm -hmm. college that has like the nursing program Mm -hmm. and they're bringing Mm -hmm. the nurses in to do the health program. Like they're making all of these connections and it's like, this is what the church could be is a, is a hub for, for creativity, for growth that is fueled by that creative spirit Of the spirit, right, and is not fueled by this need or sense of survival, right? Because the reality is, is like if we are so afraid of the church dying, then in essence, we are not being a people of faith. Mm. Because as we said before in the beginning, that like God does not need the church, that if the church dies, God does not die with
1: it. Well, God will just remake the church yeah right how many times has god said to moses look man i'll just murder all these people and i'll just make a new people out of you (laughs) and moses is like nah 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 we can work with them and god's like i don't need them i mean like not Not just
0: to moses right oh yeah
1: to (laughs) david to you know for sure for sure but just like it's just so funny how we forget We forget that God is actually powerful in the world and like, oh, no, I have to control it. I have to save it. Man, my favorite phrase anymore is no savior but Jesus, because I feel like sometimes it's like we're we feel like this anxiety, this codependent anxiety. We have to save the institution. And I'm like, we're not going to save it. It will be it will live if it is doing the work that is needed in the world, but to try to prop up an institution that is failing and falling is to not pay attention to the, the need for service and the lack of gift that's happening in an institution. And I
0: almost wonder, um, because I mean, even, even the evangelical church is losing membership, even though it seems like in a lot of ways, the conservative church is still thriving. Like it is losing membership. It is,
1: they cycle uh, people in and out. In and
0: out. But I almost wonder that, like, like the the reason that there may be, there is more, vit- what seems like more vitality within the conservative church is because they t- take an alternative perspective in this where it is so so much about the institution and not necessarily in the way the mainline church is going to think where it's more predicated on the building. Right. But for them, it is like the institutional code, sort of like the constitution of yeah. um, what they believe. And so they're so predicated on that, that, and they've so dug their heels into that, that they, and I say they, and again, I'm using grand. Um,
1: sure. Uh, Listeners, please forgive her for overgeneralizing. <laughs>
0: Overgeneralizations, but... But they will dig their heels in so deeply to maintain their ideologies that it is um, more about creating a more polarization, which we're seeing now in so many yeah, spheres of our world, sure. than it is about fully connecting with reality. Whereas the mainline church, which um, especially the progressive mainline church, which we see is dying at much more rapid rates, I find that is happening actually, ironically, in a good way because it is more connected to what is going on in the world. And when it cannot meet the needs of what is going on in the world, then it cannot sustain itself because it doesn't have this like ideological constitution that it would like fall on a sword for. Right. So therefore, what does it have? It has its, it's called to justice. It's called to radical welcome. And if you do not embrace that call, then there's no reason for you to survive. And that's harshly so, i'm sorry if that sounds harsh. no no
1: no well it's it brings up this whole other issue too about like the tension between mission and theology so there are some people in the church who really strongly believe that the core gift that the church has to give is its theology mm-hmm. its interpretation of god and jesus and the world it's incarnationalism right And then other people who say, no, 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 the core gift of the church is its mission. It's the way that it takes its theological underpinnings and employs them to do the work and the service to the people of God. And there's so much like funny, complicated tension in a lot of progressive churches about are we spending too much time on social justice issues and too little time on worship and scripture study and so forth? And I guess, ultimately, it just comes back to, why are we doing any of it? Yeah. You know, like, why are we doing scripture study? Why are we doing worship? And why are we doing social justice ministry? And the big question that I kind of came to the other day was, what kind of formation are we doing? Are we forming people to be learners? who seek after knowledge and information or are we forming ministers people who who actually embody the call of Jesus Christ instead of saying oh there is a minister in this church and then a bunch of disciples of that minister yeah you know i think there's something about if there's something incarnational that's very much mm-hmm. anti-institutional to say I mean, like, what would it mean to be a progressive church that said, we are a church that active is actively forming ministers in the service of Jesus Christ?
0: Well, I, mean, I think you can actually use the word disciples in the sense of, like, I think of the Great Commission, like, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and know that I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Um, and this idea that, like, discipleship, is about creating a relationship. It's about, it's like, an, it's more than just an apprenticeship. It's about living life with one another and then breathing through into that life the Spirit of God. And so it's more than just ministering because ministering is still like one person doing something to somebody else, mm, versus discipleship is about like creating these relationships where you're intrinsically connected to one another. And then I find too that like, for one, I feel like most people who are doing social justice work have very little idea of like what their theological ideology is behind that yeah, work. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. so, why are why are we putting theology and ministry or or justice work in um, separate boxes? Separate boxes. Like yeah. why are we why are we putting them against each other? Amen. When if we are loving our neighbor even if we aren't necessarily intellectually saying you know like uh you know quoting scripture verse blah 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 like we are we are still embodying and living out that call and i think that's too where we then see the fall of these divisions between other religions kind of fall too because is it upholding scripture that is Our ultimate goal or is it upholding this radical call of the divine to love one another unconditionally to see the light of God, you know, manifested in our world to see our world healed and whole and to see one another, you know, in community with one another in our differences, not just in our similarities. I mean that theme goes throughout all different religions but i think it also is an intrinsic theme that we can find even without ever touching scripture
1: right and i think that brings up where that core where that core tension that i experience in the church often comes in is like you can do anti-racist organizing and have no relation you can be a profound atheist you can be a total nihilist well, I don't know if you can be a total nihilist and do anti-racist work. I don't know if you can really do anything and be a nihilist. <laughs> other than, like, masturbation. But, oh my God. <laughs> You know, but I mean, like, I think you can do, and people do, amazing, powerful justice work and have no relationship to faith. And, well, and
0: that's like, uh, this is me really showing my cards. Is I get so frustrated when there's that that argument of like, do good people go to heaven? So someone has lived and sacrificed their whole life for the betterment of, you know, the marginalized and the other. And because they don't say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, they don't get into heaven. When the people who are saying Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior are being assholes to anyone who doesn't look like them. And sure. they get into heaven because they just said the fancy phrase. Like right. they like right. attended the right church. Like this is
1: bullshit. So, so then then let's push this as kind of our final question for the episode, which is we're not a nonprofit, right? We are a church. Yeah. So what does that mean? Because I think I think sometimes the progressive church really gets caught up in the nonprofit identity, and I'm guilty of this for sure. I wanted to read a Managing Nonprofits book within the first 6 weeks that I started at Admiral Mostly because I saw the institution not operating effectively. Yeah. Uh, But I was still buying into institutionalism. So, like, what does it mean for the church to not just be another service nonprofit, Mm -hmm. but to still center that work? Because you just made this point, and I I think it's a valid one, that um, our theology is not—what we say we believe— Is In my mind a heck of a lot less important than what we do, you know There's this passage that's coming up in the lectionary in a few weeks Where Jesus poses this question after they ask about John the Baptist and he says, you know There's these two sons and the father says go into the field and work and the first one says yes I'll go into the field and then he goes off and does whatever and the other one's like nah, I'm out I don't (laughs) care, but he goes and does the work and uh, Jesus says who did the will of his father? it's like, well, obviously it's the one who went on and did it, not the one who said he was going to do it. So like, and are we only all about the work?
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, I think what separates us from a nonprofit is this idea that there is more to this world. That it's this idea that, that we are called to a greater purpose that we are called to a world that is more loving, more sustainable, more, you know, and I I always tell people like Jesus is my guide. That is the lens in which like I mm-hmm. understand and I find like the for me the best example of like what to do. Um but the reason too I am a person of faith and not just like an executive of a nonprofit is because it is this idea that there is something greater than myself and that there is something in that greater you know, being that looks at me, too, and says, like, within your weaknesses, you will find strength, mm-hmm. and that I will use your weaknesses as well as your gifts to transform the world, and that even the least of these, not just even the least of these, are greater than the greatest of right. these, and so it, it flips this whole script that we are born into about, like, you know, Having to like put your pull your bootstraps up and work hard. And if you work hard, then you're gonna like succeed. And like, we all know that that's very rare, especially these days. And I love that phrase too. People are like, we gotta have boots first. Right, exactly. Um, And instead, looks at each and every one of us and says, You are a sacred being. You have purpose. You have meaning. There's something important about you. And there's also something equally important about those around you. And if you see others suffering, then. You need to do something about it. That we are all connected.
1: I think that for me, that last statement um, is really is really profound and central. That we are we are one. Yeah. And that so much of being alive is learning about your separateness, right? Like we both have young kids. Um, do you get bit? <laughs> we
0: get licked right now. Okay. There's a lot of licking in our house. No, that's fun. It's gross. Uh,
1: yes. The spitting is also very oh, gross. Oh yeah.
0: We've got, we got the spitting oh. too. But,
1: like the thing I'm noticing about <laughs> my son is that he is very much learning that he is not me. Yeah. That there's a boundary to his body. There's a boundary to his emotions. There's a boundary to his physical sensation. And so he does stuff to himself and he's like, oh, that hurts. And then he does it to me and it doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> and so like, I feel like we're wired and are all of kind of material reality having a body, being embodied teaches us about our separateness. And I feel like the thing that has been most central and critical for me about my relationship to God and why I follow Jesus is that Jesus is consistently teaching me you're actually not. You're not actually separate. Yeah. You just think that you are, and that's where the language about the world, and um, this is important to take it back to the Greek, right? And in, in Greek, the the word that's translated "world" in John's Gospel is actually the word "cosmos," which is where we get the root for the word "cosmetics," right? It's it means um, the facade or the mm. the the outer covering, right? The the false self, and I think that's where the real work of faith is is to transcend that like false small limited independent separate Mm -hmm. self and to move into that greater fuller united self that self Mm -hmm. that is only found in god and and what i'm finding is man when i participate strongly in my relationship with god it forces me to care about other people because they are a part of God. And even if they're a total jerk, I don't have to love them. But if I love God, God loves them. And so I kind of have to love... It's like this sneaky back door that God opens up. Whereas if we're really devoted to God, then we actually have to be devoted to this work, but not because we want to be saviors Mm -hmm. and not because we want to fix people and not because they're really nice and they actually deserve better. It's because... God loves them. That's why I have to do it, even if they bite me.
0: <laughs> or lick you.
1: Or spit on you. I
0: think we should yes. re- remind people our kids are like around two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, in this time of pandemic and in looking at this disease that affects our lungs and in looking at, you know, the death of George Floyd and this, this, this this call of you know I can't breathe is like what better example is there of our interconnectedness mm-hmm. than our very breath, mm-hmm. and that this the Holy Spirit and the present the essence of God and you know talking about the Hebrew and stuff is literally translated to breath.
1: Yes. And yes. like
0: we don't breathe separate like we breathe separately, but we don't breathe in you know in a, our own little tunnels of air like right. the the air that is around us the 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 inhale that we each make and the exhale that we each make is we are inhaling and exhaling each other yes like we are so connected within our breath so when we see people suffering whether from covid whether from you know police (laughs) brutality but like if our very essence of breath is being taken from us then we also are suffocating as well and how much more should we then act to take care of those around
1: us Mm -hmm. I think that's a good one i think that is a great <laughs> one so go out folks to manifest the incarnational church and let the institutional church be the intermediate good that gets us to an incarnational relationship with god with jesus with neighbor and with self
0: and we will see you next time yeah
1: don't forget to like share send this to your grandma if you think it would be upper <coughs> alley
0: your uncle your cousin <laughs> that's right and your uh your barber. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Pray for that haircut. Amen. Bye, everybody.
0: Amen. Bye, everybody.